Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you to join us for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its community, and the excitement of discovery. I am indubitably still your host, Ed Pocock, and joining us today, she is a double Vault Tour Day Tour and a Keyforge blogger. It's Aurora. Aurora, good to have you on the cast. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Wonderful. And, and for those of you listening to this for the first time, every two episodes we'll be introducing a different member of the Keyforge community. In the first episode with them, we learn the story behind their love of Keyforge and invite them to share their unique perspective on the game with the discussion topic that matters to them. The second episode is all about bottling the excitement of discovery, where our guests share with us their unique perspective on the game and a deck that they consider truly unique to themselves. Today, we'll be exploring the subject of diversity in Keyforge and its player base. We'll be looking at the current state of diversity in Keyforge and the wider tabletop industry, and we'll be asking what would better diversity look like, how would it benefit the game, and what changes can be made to facilitate this. Before we dive into our focus topic, though, we always like to ask our guests a few questions and get to know them. So... Aurore, tell us a little bit about yourself, your card-playing background, and, and why Keyforge appeals to you so much. Uh, well, my first, compet- my, my first trading card game has been uh, Magic the Gathering, like uh, many before me. Uh, I started about age 14, I think. A group of friends from school were playing, older, older friends. Uh, were playing in the library, and I was just sitting there amazed at this magnificent game they were uh, having fun with and I went out and got a deck and I've been I've played that for a very very long time um, until at some point I unfortunately lost my collection uh, to misplacing it somewhere and somebody just taking it and I oh god it got stolen that, that was a rather big collection it's not you know like in the tens of thousands or something but Still, you know, collected magic for four years, you get a bit of a collection. That must have been an awful experience. Yeah, yeah it was. Um, I tried to rebuild my collective start again, but it felt like pretty empty having lost all that. So um, I moved to Magic the Gathering uh, online, uh, which was just released. And I played there um, for a while because of the the, the how easy it is to trade uh, online and how accessible it is, I focused almost entirely on uh, limited uh, drafts and uh, sealed, 
and I had made a film from there. I never got to be like, feel like I was the player or anything. Uh, but I did manage to, you know, go and win slinks on uh, drafts enough to only have to spend every fourth or fifth draft, spend money to join because I could sell what I opened. Uh, so that was nice. Um, I have always had some kind of competitive game in my break, break background since then. Um, after Magic the Gathering, I played uh, War Machine Holds, which is a miniature tabletop game uh, for a few years. I really enjoyed that. Uh, it was great, but the scene here just died out when the store closed. Uh, and after that, I moved to League of Legends online, which is a MOBA. And, yeah. and that's a team game. You play a team against another team, and uh, playing that with random people is, can be extremely stressful and ne negative experience sometimes. And uh, at some point, I just realized that I was not really having fun. I was trying to be competitive and trying to win and I, w I was just not enjoying my experience at all so I stopped just yes cold turkey stopped playing the game game that I've played like six seven hours every day it's a bold move to uh to recognize something's bad for you like that and and to really cu cut it out of yeah, your life I, I actually recently a friend told me there's the uh, team tactics on the same platform for League of Legends uh, so I joined that, I played that for like two hours straight, and then I was like, whoa, this is not, this is not good. <laughs> and I just uninstalled it, and I was like, don't want to do this. Uh, How long were you into your cold turkey when you found Keyforge for the oh, first time? I had, uh, I had Hearthstone in the background during that time, which was okay, competitive okay. light. Um, I, I yeah. didn't really try to, to be really good at, um, at uh, Hearthstone. I did n make it to Legendary once just to prove that I could. But the meta there gets really, really stale and really, really boring. Uh, which kind of just went into cycles of new set, yay, exciting, two weeks later, boring, wait for the next set. And that's not so much of a healthy mix-up, is it? Um, even even magic, from what I understand, there's at least some shift in the meta, or at least so many different formats that it keeps things interesting. Uh, yeah, the, the color design in uh, in Magic: The Gathering is way better than Hearthstone. Uh, but Magic: The Gathering is a sinkhole for cash and time. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's why we are on a Keyforge podcast as opposed yes, to a yes, Magic podcast, um, I suppose. I discovered, I discovered Keyforge just on Reddit, a random ad or message or somebody said something about it and it, it immediately, immediately uh, caught my interest. Um, just now, not, no deck building. Uh, deck building, I think, is a very, very unique and difficult skill. And 99% yep. of the people that um, play with decks that require deck building just copy it from somebody else that has that skill. Uh, it takes an enormous amount of testing and tweaking in order to, to get an idea for a deck into something that is good. And also understanding 
uh, why a deck is good, like mana curves and tempo and stuff like that when you build a deck is just mind-bogglingly difficult. And I was never good at it. Yes. Uh, I play also an Arkham Horror card game. You and I both. In which I, you get to build a deck, but there's no pressure for it to be like excellent because it's cooperative. So you just build whatever is fun. Uh, so that, that's a different aspect. That's a brilliant, brilliant game. And, and for our listeners as well, if you missed episode five, uh, which was with Frank Brinkley, he is a host of an Arkham Horror podcast. And we dive a little bit into that game in that episode. So if, if this has perked your interest, head back there after I this. I definitely recommend it to you. Um, so yeah, uh, I had Hearthstone in the background, discovered, uh, heard about uh, Keyforge, and then a couple of weeks before uh, release, I just thought, you know, ask around the, the local uh, LGSs, see if maybe somebody is running in a release event, and they did. So I went to the release event, had a ton of fun, and I've been hooked since then. Wonderful. And, and you haven't just been hooked, have you? Because you've now made a double Voltor top cut. And I, if I'm right, you're one of only two people to do that. Don't fact check me on that, but I, I believe that you're one of only two people to do that. You're arguably one of the most prominent players in the game. And you run a absolutely brilliant blog. And we recommend all of the listeners to go, go to that and check that out because there's a, a whole armory of interesting Keyforge ideas to improve your approach to Keyforge and just make you look differently at the game. And the link to that will be in our show notes. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely not one of all the two peoples that make the double uh, day two and a single, you know, event. Uh, there was one additional person in the Krakow, and I know of at least one more that did in the US. So, at, at least three. Okay. It's, uh, it's still quite a small community. Yeah. What, what, I mean, when uh, day twoing in both the Sealed and the Archon is a kind of uh, jack-of-all-trades kind of seal. For example... Uh, Jakub Donkoro, uh, who is a double uh, Voltu champion, uh, he's completely focused on Archon. He doesn't care at all about the sealed, and, and he just joined the event because it's, it was there and it was fun. But he doesn't really train for it or really look into it as something that he wants to be competitive as. And I'm looking at both. Both events are equally fun for me and important and it's really interesting that even this early on in the game it hasn't been out for 12 months yet there are people focusing on those different areas um i like you uh, Aro, i i feel i want to try out as many different formats of the game as i possibly can um i don't want to i don't want to get nailed down to only one format uh yeah definitely um i'm also looking forward to trying other kinds of format like i'm really hoping i will be able to get to a, a alcon triad in the near future um not sure when that will happen and um and worlds which is team events gonna be super fun absolutely and uh and we've well we've played some team events yeah, before we have. haven't we um at the krakow vault tour uh the double vault tour uh you and i participated in two team events together and um I must say, what an amazing experience that was. That Vault Tour, the team events, um, you get a sense for what is a competitive game of real, uh, real teamwork um, and uh, a sense that you're, you're kind of part of something bigger than just being there on your own. 
Uh, yeah, I think uh, uh, Team Sealed is got to be one of my favorite formats right now. Uh, just the deck selection process, opening six decks, trying to figure out the three you want to run, and also matching them to the right people. And then the team event itself, where you have this communication back and forth and asking questions and giving opinions, is just brilliant. I, I love that they did that, and I love that they put that in Worlds. With that in mind, they've announced teams for Worlds now, which is an amazing, amazing idea, in my mind anyway. I'm keen to gauge your thoughts on that, on how that affects the game, particularly against the backdrop of their other announcement. This is a series of events that will run separately to the existing competitive Keyforge landscape. And these events will be held in which you can you can earn quite a significant amount of money um, through playing Keyforge. What is your feeling on on that as a separate entity to the existing vault tours are we likely to see you playing playing for cash or are you sticking sticking with one or will you just go for everything i think th- that separation really brings out the fun casual can be still can still be competitive but the more focused on fun aspect of the vault tours and the world championship the fact that it's teams means that a lot of people are going to just come with friends, come with family, and not necessarily build the most competitive team they can, which is excellent in my opinion, especially when we have this other avenue for the super competitive players to like go and dig deep and run for the top. Uh, me personally, I think yes. uh, I will only make... Um, uh, what is the the qualifiers? If it's something that is easy for me to access, I will probably prefer during the year to go to Voltools. Uh, and I will most likely just fly out to Miami and uh, participate in the last minute qualifiers. And if I happen to make it make the cut, then I will participate in the big event. And if not, there's supposed to be a Voltool just uh, running parallel, and I will play in that. So um, I think that's my format, my, my, my participation, because I don't think that the investment for me personally of flying to Europe and accommodation and all that is going to be worth any kind of prize that I might get. That sounds like a, a very healthy approach to it indeed. One thing I must say, Aurore, is coming to Krakow and attending those vault tours, I've never travelled to another country for a game or for anything like this before that. And to be quite honest, I had no idea what to expect. Doing that team event with you really made me realise how much I didn't know about Keyforge. And it definitely awoke my slightly more competitive side to try and learn a lot more about the game, to really challenge my understanding of the game. And whilst I'd still class myself as a a competitive, uh, sorry, a casual player, I'm getting increasingly interested in that competitive landscape as well, in addition to and separate to that casual side in which I still enjoy the game. Um, So thank you for that. You're most welcome. I'm... I'm here to try and share knowledge and make as many people understand the game better as I can. Going back to our theme of talking around the recent announcements, um, Richard Garfield at that announcement uh, casually dropped in that they are 
throwing in procedurally generated cards for the Worlds Collide set. Now, this isn't what we've seen from Keyforge so far. This is something additional. This is something extra. Um, and it sounds like they've they've cracked that problem of actually being able to make the cards individually different themselves. So what Richard described for our listeners that didn't hear this was that you would have cards that would be different conditional to the deck they're in. So the, one of the examples he gave is a... Uh, I believe it was called a cultural exchange officer that is a Star Alliance card that you see in different houses and it essentially swaps place with a different creature, forcing a maverick that wouldn't otherwise be seen. Another example was having a creature in a deck and just the very existence of that creature in the deck means that another random creature gains plus two power. Um, Aurora, how, how excited are you for this? Because I know I definitely am. And where do you think they could take this in the future? Well, um, I'm more excited about how involved Richard Garfield seems to be in the, in the development and design of Keyforge, because Richard Garfield is an absolute brilliant designer. And I'm really excited to hear what else he brings into the game. About this specifically, uh, I think it can be cool. It makes decks even more unique than they already are, which is amazing because that's what we want from Keyforge. We want just uniqueness. We want our own deck with our own entity and we don't want anybody else to, you know, have something similar. We want us to have something completely unique. And it, it brings that to the table and I'm sure they'll come up with many more ways to do that in a way that we can all enjoy it and it, it won't, like, you know, break the entire thing. I think they certainly will. And what you said on, on Richard Garfield is certainly true there. I think he's known in the industry as being not just one of the most intelligent and successful designers out there, but also as a serial designer. He seems to be designing something every every month. Uh, different things seem to be coming out with his name on it. Um, so to see him engaged with Keyforge a year after it's been after it's originally been released, is, I think, really positive for the, the long-term health of the game. Moving us back to the broader nature and gameplay of Keyforge, are there any houses or deck archetypes that most suit your playstyle for Keyforge? Uh, definitely. Um, I found out I really enjoy playing um, combo decks. I like... Uh, playing non-linear decks that make me think outside the box and force me to uh, really decide ahead of time what I'm going to do in order to bring myself an advantage in the long run of the game. Uh, I like to be able to combine lots of little pieces into something bigger. And uh, my favorite house would be Untamed, just because... Okay of the amount of interaction with the discard pile that you can do, which gives you basically, yeah. you know, three, four times amount of options because you can play any card in your discard pile. Lots of combo potential. And will we be seeing some combos in our deck discovery episode together? Uh, definitely, yeah. Um, it's a combo deck. Awesome. And uh, I think I've got some experience of playing against you when it comes to combos because at the Krakow Vault Tour, you played a Martian Generosity Key Abduction deck against me, which uh, which left me feeling rather bruised afterwards. I'm sorry about that. 
And it's absolutely great deck, I must say. Absolutely brilliant. Is that a good example of one of your, your combo deck favourites? Yeah, it is. Um, it has uh, a lot of interaction with the Discard Pile and Untamed, and it has the Martian Generosity, of course. And it takes some thinking. It takes some thinking to set it up, and it takes some thinking to win with it. And uh, it's one of my favourite decks, no doubt. So it seems that you're flying in a slightly different direction when it comes to choosing Untamed as your favourite house. I think uh, a lot of players feel that whilst they were really rather powerful in Call of the Archons, that in Age of Ascension they maybe took a bit of a different direction. They maybe dipped in their capability to uh, to deliver the win. Um, would you would you agree with that? I think that Untamed in End of Age of Ascension is a bit like uh, Moss was in uh, AOA. It either works really well or it doesn't do anything. Um, I like when I have a lot of tools in my Untamed. I'm not excited if I have a bunch of Marmos Swarms in a Nox. I can see that. And one one card I love to have from Untamed in Age of Ascension are the Pan Packers. Um, named after Richard Garfield's children, incidentally. And these these cards, I feel, are a bit more universally viable. Uh, yeah, they're definitely fun. I, I like both. I actually, just the other day, I played a Reversal Sealed. And on the last round, I was I handed a deck that was truly awful, but it had a Panpaka Jagger, which is, I believe, the... Three power skirmish panpaka that uh, gives skirmish to all creatures on its left, and along with a lot of the Titanic, which is an eleven power creature that doesn't wow. take any damage. It doesn't deal any damage when it's attacked, and into the fray, which is a card that you play <laughs> on a friendly Bobblin creature and gets the ability to uh, uh, ready after it fights. So a lot of the Titanic simply cleared my, the entire board of my opponent and then reaped just for, you know, fun. Just because he could. That's amazing. What a combo. For a reversal deck as well. I bet the, uh, I bet the player that brought it was uh, feeling a little bit aggrieved. Oh, it was, it was sealed. Oh, it was a sealed event. Okay. Yeah, sealed That's reversal. That's a little bit more forgivable. Yeah. But it, yeah. it does come to show you that even terrible decks have really interesting combos you can find in them. One more question before we dive into our main topic, Aurora. Um, which creature of the Crucible would you most like to have fighting by your side during a team event? Uh, this could be any creature in the Crucible, any Keyforged creature. You can even pick the designers if you want. Go crazy. I think a time traveler. I mean, it can travel in time. Surely it knows what's coming. <laughs> I think you're right. And then you can get some help from your future self as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, two, two free amber pips for all that as well. So uh, I, I think that's a, that's a very wise choice. Let's move on to our main topic now. And for those of you who maybe fast forwarded through that bit earlier, we are going to be talking about diversity in Keyforge, in the wider tabletop landscape, and really how well is Keyforge doing here? What can it be doing better and how let's kick off can you share a bit about your experience with regards to how accessible keyforge is to its player base around diversity uh so i think that keyforge uh becomes more accessible for 
two slightly different reasons. Uh, one, it's just more accessible to new players uh, because you can just pick up a deck and play with it. And like Richard Garfield said in the interview, uh, nobody can come over and tell you, why are you playing with that card? That card is awful. Well, I have to. It's in my deck. Uh, I think that thing really puts down uh, any el elitist aspect of, uh, against the game. It, it doesn't eliminate it, yes. of course. Uh, you can still say, why are you playing with that deck? It's awful. But it really lowers the volume of it. Anybody just picks up a deck and just brings it and enjoys it, and every deck has something going for it. Um, that aspect really allows players that just want to come in and just experience it, just touch it a bit, see how it goes, uh, not feel like uh, uh, they're condescendent upon and just don't know what they're doing and being told that they don't know what they're doing. So that really allows a more diverse uh, area of people because that kind of negative interaction feels a lot worse when you're also uh, one kind of minority or another. Yeah, and, and the other aspect is just the theme and the art of the game, which I think is brilliant and encompassing and I, I love it. I'm, I love the giant yeah. women in, uh, in Brobnar, and I love the knights uh, uh, in uh, Sanctum, and I love that like, uh, Sa uh, uh, Keyforge is one of the only games that I know, or universes at all, in which there's no problem for women to be knights. Just no issue. There are. Yes, so in that, I'm glad you brought this up, because in that way... Keyforge seems to be very consciously trying to be diverse in its card base, in the roles in which it assigns its male and female uh, creatures. And to what extent do you feel it's doing a good job there? And where could it maybe improve more? Well, I, I don't really follow much of the law, so I don't know how the story goes and how uh, encompassing that is. Um, I... Aside from, you know, just continuing on the path that they're going, I, I'm not sure what, what can be made more diverse in the art or theme of the cards. They're pretty much what I would want. Um, yeah, it has really big variants of body types and creatures and humans of all sorts of natures. I want to pick up on something you said earlier, Aurore, because you said Keyforge in relation to the wider tabletop industry. And uh, and you spoke about your experience being slightly more challenging on, on League of Legends. And this is something that sits quite uncomfortably with me because it, it sets aside with, there's a stigma, I think, for, for gaming in general, whether digital or whether tabletop, that has this feeling of, white male misogyny and intolerance and i think this is lifting certainly it's not been my experience of the game but i feel very uncomfortable about about that that stigma being attached to it and i don't feel it's reflective of what we see certainly in keyforge what is your experience of that personally and have you seen any of that in keyforge there definitely have been cases of it in keyforge um 
I heard a story about uh, someone that uh, asked their uh, female opponent about uh, a card rule, and she answered it, and he scoffed, like, how would you know, and went to ask a judge, which said the exact same thing. So this kind of behavior happens. Oh, no. It happens because it's still culturally uh, acceptable uh, to treat women that way. Uh, but the world is changing, and I think that as far as games go, Keyforge is in a really good place. There are other games that do similarly well, like uh, uh, I think uh, Settlers of Catan is uh, community is quite inclusive. Just as being a participant in an event and you see somebody having a bit of a difficult time because maybe their opponent is being mean to them or anything just strikes you as making them uncomfortable, try and speak up because uh, if everybody at the store is aware of any issues or people that are making other people uncomfortable, speaking out as a group is much more effective than that one person trying to go to the tournament organizer and telling them that was uncomfortable for them. I think that is exceptional advice. And far too often people uh, see something that they don't like and they don't say anything. So I think the, the moral of that one is don't be that person. Yeah, and if you're uncomfortable with like taking it up with the person that is making somebody uncomfortable, uh, you going along with that person that is uncomfortable to the tournament organizer, just even separately, is going to put some weight on it. It's like not just the one person complaining. Uh, it's, it's a number of people, and then the tournament organizer should do something about it. Absolutely. There should be no tolerance for intolerance within the Keyforge community. And all Keyforge players, if that's going to be the case, need to be ambassadors of that mantra. Definitely. But, you know, if you, we, we both uh, went to big Voltools and there were numerous games there. And yeah. it was very easy to see that the amount of uh, diversity in the Keyforge area was much higher than the other games. I completely agree. Yes. And in the top cut as well. I believe for the, the sealed top 16, we had yourself, we had Rachel Trimble, and we had yeah, we Teresa uh, from Germany. So whilst it's not quite 50-50, it's, uh, it's a little bit better than some of the other games. Definitely. And also, while I was sitting there at, the, at table number one uh, playing against Teresa, uh, another person uh, boasting... Uh, a sexual pin came up to us and said that he's really happy seeing that table at, at, at table one. That's brilliant. And I think more more diverse role models within Keyforge is only going to have a compound effect to uh, to support Keyforge in becoming a an all-inclusive and very, very diverse game. And uh, I mean, as I said earlier, I, I feel that this sits slightly uncomfortably with me because... I don't understand why Keyforge or a game like Keyforge shouldn't appeal equally to all genders and all backgrounds. If Marvel and if Harry Potter and other IPs do, then why not Keyforge? And it has to come back to what you were talking about earlier, Aurora, of the 
some of the stigma, some of the 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 things that 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 have been deemed to be acceptable in the card game community that are no longer acceptable in 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 wider spaces. Um, and w- I hope we're not seeing too much of that in Keyforge, but I hope we can do all we can to to encourage stronger diversity moving forward. Uh, I'm fairly certain that uh, the Vault Warriors branch of Keyforge is going to see some of that. Uh, Money attracts all sorts of people and not all for very good reasons. And there's going to be some toxicity there. There's no way to avoid it. Uh, but hopefully, and I have heard uh, Alex Watkins, uh, the organized play uh, manager for FFG, I believe, uh, talk on several occasions, and he's very adamant about keeping this community diverse and accessible. So I hope uh, they are able to deal with any anybody that harms that that's that's brilliant and and what do you feel that alex can do to to really make this the most accessible community there is in the gaming world for people from all races all genders all it takes is needing is is listening really that's all all there is even uh just you know somebody telling coming up to him and selling telling him this was extremely uncomfortable uh, uh, because of X, Y, and Z, and this doesn't go just, uh, well, that's the way it is, but actually tries to do something to change that, that's all it takes. And that that is the feeling that I got from him. Uh, he was on an interview in uh, Arkon's Corner. Uh, there was some talk there about uh, people that have problems with um, noise and lots of people and stuff like that, and he was um, very encouraging in saying just if you have any kind of issue with these big events and you want to participate, just uh, contact us and let us know, and we'll do everything we can. Uh, he said that he that there was some somebody that was uh, much more comfortable sitting in their own chair, and he was extremely tempted to just drive there, pick up the chair so he can sit in his own chair during the tournament. Uh, it, it didn't uh, end up needing it. Uh, it was decided that it was fine. But his willingness yes. to do that for so people in minorities of all sorts can participate comfortably, that's all it takes. So it sounds like we have the right person in Alex to support this in really moving forward and potentially a benefit as well of having that Vault Warrior tournament aside from the traditional, uh, traditional, it's only been out for nine months, the traditional competitive landscape in Keyforge is that it gives a space for 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 those two different parts of the game to uh, have their own areas. Uh, definitely, uh, that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that will uh, allow the casual players to be super comfortable and the game to grow. And they, even the casual players will know that this game is sticking around for a long time, which is always nice. And the super competitive players can just go ahead and play for cash prizes. And I think we are going to be uh, sticking around for quite a while with Keyforge if we look at the interest seems to be growing rather than rather than receding. 
Uh, yeah, there's, there's been some issues with like the health of the game in some smaller uh, stores, but I think that with time, uh, Keyforge is going to be taking the, the very top place. Uh, probably not going to overtake Magic for a very, very long time, but it might eventually get there. I'm optimistic if you are. I'm certainly optimistic about this. Um, I think it could very much challenge it for, for that position. Whilst we're on the subject of local stores, I think this is probably an important place to talk talk about diversity as well. Um, I play the majority of my Keyforge at the kitchen table with my partner. She's never really played a game like Keyforge before. She's always enjoyed board games, but has never played a competitive card game, anything like Keyforge or Magic, prior to prior to this. And, um, well, she absolutely loves it for a start, but she's also an exceptionally good player. However, when I think about local game stores, there's still a number of local game stores in London that don't present an inclusive atmosphere. They aren't places that are accessible. That doesn't sit well in a 21st century where anyone should be able to walk in a door and know that they're welcome and feel comfortable. So there are some challenges around this. And I think whilst, you know, even in London, we see a lot of changes here. We see some increasingly the board game cafe model is a very, very accessible model. Um, it, it, it's a it's a welcoming it's a welcoming environment for all. And a number of local game stores really, really te- trying to ensure that they are accessible and welcoming to everyone and present that right atmosphere. There's still a few lagging. Is this something that you see, Aurora? And and are there any ways in which our listeners can? work with their local local game stores and areas to make those make those local environments a bit more more accessible uh, to an, an inclusive audience uh, definitely there are a number of ways you can do that um, the first is just hiring women uh, if you have a woman organizing an event women will feel more comfortable attending it's very simple uh, Another aspect would be uh, if you have an atmosphere of, you know, very open and well-lit place also makes people just generally more comfortable. It kind of feels uh, intimidating to walk into a dark place if you don't know what's going on there and what kind of people you're expecting there. Uh, A well-lit area really makes people feel better about being there. Just just psychologically more comfortable. And lastly, you can also just organize events for minorities. Um, you can just, there's a, a Keyforge uh, Facebook group called SheForge, and they organize events for women only. And that helps a lot. They can get introduced to the game without worrying about feeling uncomfortable in that environment. And once they're all comfortable, they can move on to play with the general, uh, you know, Keyforge community. Uh, once they know and they don't have to ask questions and be worried about, uh, you know, scornful remarks. That's a, a brilliant way of doing it. 
it looks like there's lots of options there. And I really hadn't thought about open and light environments having such a big impact, but they do. They certainly do. And um, one thing I think we see in London is a much more accessible environment is a pub. And maybe that's because we're British and we like spending time in pubs. But generally, if you have people in an environment that they like spending time in and you introduce a card game uh, that they're going to enjoy, they're more likely to have a good experience playing it if they're in an environment they they enjoy. So a challenge to our listeners is try and get someone involved in the game that you think would probably like the game if they were introduced to it in the right way and introduce them to it in the right way, taking on board some of those things that Aurora's just spoken about. Keyforge at its heart is a unique deck game. So whether it be for that eclectic combo, an exciting strategy, or just a really great name, everybody has a deck that feels truly unique to themselves. So join us next week where Aurora is going to share one of her most loved Keyforge decks. Any hint to our listeners about what they can expect? Uh, well, it's a very unique deck, and I overlooked it the first time I opened it. I actually don't remember opening it at all. And only after I came back from Krakow and I looked over my decks, I just browsed it, and I was like, oh, wow, this looks really interesting. It has so many different moving parts. I must try and play it. And I did, and it was fun. And we can find out more next week on the Deck Discovery episode. But firstly, thanks to Aurora for joining us today. Please let us know what ideas you have to encourage greater diversity in the Keyforge community or what you're doing to encourage this in your local community already. Let us also know what you'd like to see more of or less of in future shows. Please do subscribe on your regular podcast app and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and email us questions at discoverkeyforge at gmail.com. Do also check out Aurora's Time Shapers blog, and you will find this in the show notes. Most importantly, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, then please help them to discover it. Thanks for listening. Thank you very much.